0: So the other day I was um, having tea with my children, my family, and it's funny the conversations you get into over your kind of your cheesy potatoes or whatever it was we were eating. we were there; these sort of conversations seem to randomly come up. Don't don't think this is an everyday conversation about deep theology, but somehow we got into talking about um, resurrection bodies. And uh, when Jesus died and he came and, you know, he, he kind of cooked a barbecue on, on, the, on the beach for his mates and they're kind of cooking fish and bread. And, and we were talking about Jesus has this resurrection body. So he'd risen from the dead and he was kind of had this new body that was kind of recognizably him but was different. And he it, it had touch and it had feel because he said to Thomas, look, you can feel... Uh, my hands, so obviously it had physicality, and yet he was also able to walk through walls. he ate food, and there's kind of all sorts of interesting theological things on that. But we were talking about these kind of heavenly bodies, and I just said, well, you know, truth is, because Joey said, so when do we get this heavenly body? And I kind of looked at him and went, well, Joey, some of us have already got heavenly bodies. And he did what you did, except he spat his orange squash all across the table and could not stop laughing. At the thought that his dad had a heavenly body. Um, do you know that thing when you kind of you get up in the morning, and you put the clothes, you know, on a nice day off, and you put your nice clothes on, you think, you know, and you get your best jeans on, your best shirt on, you put your boots on, and you go out in town and you feel pretty good. Do you know what I mean? You know what I mean, don't you, James? Yeah, you know what I mean. Steve, you know what I mean, don't you? Yeah. And you're kind of walking through town and you're kind of, you're just feeling pretty good. You've got your new jacket on, you, you just, you know, you've, you've shaved that day, you've done your hair, a bit of a gel, and you feel really good. It's a good feeling. And you're kind of walking through town and you walk past the apple shop. And because there's this strange pull of an apple shop, it's kind of like a giant magnet. You kind of turn your head and you think, I'm not going to go in there today, but I'm just going to look. And as you look sideways, you see a reflection of your heavenly body. And there's this crushing sense of despair as realism hits you. <laughs> and you look at yourself and you think, I look really grey and overweight, and there's lots of grey hair, and I look rough, and my hair looks... I didn't used to look like that, because in your head you remember what, you know, I used to look like. I was, I was hot. You ask my wife. That's not something you hear vickers say a lot. There you are. She's right. I'm right, aren't I? Notice I say was. Um, you know, sadly, it, life happens to us, and fatigue, and we kind of eat too many pies, and before we know it, we can kind of put a bit of weight on, get a bit sat, the muscles that we used to have, you can't really see them anymore, they're probably lurking under rolls of fat or something, but suddenly, we just feel like, what's happened to me? What's happened to my body? And worse than that, we live in days where the perfect physique is really big deal, isn't it? You know, you're being signed up for gyms everywhere, and there's adverts on about drinking healthy water water isn't healthy and you know kind of eating the right tablets and the right kind of vitamins and doing your exercise and looking after yourself and getting the right deodorant and there's this whole thing of trying to be really healthy and be really really fit and it gets me thinking about that's our physical body but actually one of the one of the words that's used for the church in scripture it talks about being a body we're all parts of that body But I wonder about the church. Would we describe the church as a healthy body? Or maybe we've become a bit flabby. Maybe we've lost our tone sometimes. Maybe we've become addicted to unhelpful vices, got a bit out of shape. We've lost our fitness. Maybe we've kind of lost our mojo. And sometimes if we take a sidelong look at the church in a reflection in a shop... Maybe it would be a bit disconcerting what we actually see compared to sometimes what we think. Tonight I want to focus particularly on this passage. It's a very familiar one, Ezekiel 37. I've spoken on it before. But we've been going through this whole series on healthy living, healthy life, healthy church, healthy spirituality, healthy church, having healthy eyes, having healthy hearing... Tonight we're thinking about having a healthy body. What might that mean? What, what God might be wanting to say to us through that? Um, I want to begin by sharing a dream. Some of you who have, have been around St. Matt's will have heard me share this dream. And, and I don't want to apologise for sharing it again, because in some ways it has stayed with me for the last nearly f- 15 years of church ministry, because it shook me to the core and made me think, a new, in a new way, challenged me. And because it stayed with me, I think it's because it was a real God moment. I want to describe this dream to you. Let me explain the context first. I was working for a, a large, successful church uh, in in the city not far from here, a really growing church. Um, by the time I'd had this dream, we would regularly on a Sunday night get 400 pushing 500 people. We'd planted that church not that many years before. It was part of a movement of trying to, um, planting one church and then another. And it was a dynamic, successful, fun church to be a part of. And it was great. And in the context of working for this church and being on the leadership of this church and one of the other churches as well, congregational leader, I had this really strange dream. I was fast asleep, which is often when you have dreams, strangely enough. And in this dream... I was walking through the church, not very dissimilar to this, similar size to this, and I was walking through the church while a service was going on. Now often when we have dreams, strange things happen in dreams, but in the dreams it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? And this was a kind of a bit like one of those, because in my dream everything was happening at the same time. So there was worship going on, and some of my friends were leading worship, and they had a full-on rocking band, you know, like we do often have here, but it's a really big band. And as I turned around and looked at the church... Everyone had their hands in the air, they were singing, they were smiling, they were worshiping. It was really seemed like a really, really dynamic worship set and worship time. The whole church was lifting the roof. And because it was a dream, and these things in dreams make sense, at the same time that was happening, one of my other friends who's also kind of church leader and an evangelist, he was preaching. Good buddy of mine, a real kind of godly, real amazing man of God, inspirational preacher. He was preaching and everyone was laughing and really enjoying his sermon and kind of looking kind of like they were really encountering God and having lots of fun, but obviously being really touched by him. So all this was going on and everyone was smiling and laughing and I was walking. I remember vividly walking out from the side and down the middle of the church just looking at people and they were all laughing and smiling and worshipping. It was brilliant. But here's the weird thing. In my dream, as I was walking through, I was sobbing, crying my eyes out. Crying and crying and crying and crying. And I was looking at people. They couldn't see me, but I could see them. And I was weeping and weeping and weeping. And as I got to the front of church and walked across and looked down the central aisle at all these kind of hundreds of people, I heard a really loud voice from heaven. I knew it was God speaking. And he just said this. I want my church back. And then I woke up. And as I woke up, I discovered I was crying. And I could not stop crying. Just heard this voice in my head. I want my church back. And I was shaken. I was literally shaking. I was crying. Uh, Sarah was like, oh, "What are you doing?" I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, "And I kind of crawled out of bed and I crawled downstairs. And as I was going downstairs, I, I heard God say to me, Ezekiel 37. So I went downstairs and I opened the Bible and I read Ezekiel 37, and I just wept. I wept for about two hours. I could not stop. I want tonight just to reflect on it for a few moments about what God might have been saying to me what god might be saying to the church and i want to say what god was saying that night wasn't specifically i don't think about the church that i was part of necessarily but it was a challenging word to the church in our context and in our culture and i'm going to share a little bit about that and how we perhaps might respond to that because we are the church individually we're part of the church but corporately You know, sometimes it's so easy to criticise the church, isn't it? I hear people do that all the time. I hear people knock Vineyard. I hear people knock BCC. I hear people knock Whitcomb Baptist. I hear people knock this church. I hear people knock all sorts of churches. Do you know what? The church is the bride of Christ. And we've got to stop it. Because it's serious business. Now, the church has many faults. But the main faults with the church are you and me. And where I see faults in the church is because there are faults in me. Sometimes we've got to own some of our brokenness. But the good news is God wants to transform us into this glorious, beautiful bride. And when Christ looks at Whitcomb Baptist, and when Christ looks at All Saint Western, and when Christ looks at BCC, and when Christ looks at freedom, and when Christ looks at us, there's lots of brokenness in all those places. But Christ looks at the bride and says, that is my beautiful bride. I love them. So what might Christ be saying? What might God be saying about the church? Well, this passage was read by Mimi from Ezekiel. Ezekiel lived in a time of real upheaval, real devastation, actually. The Assyrians and then the Babylonians had overtaken the Jews and driven them out of their homeland. In 597 BC, the armies of Babylon had kind of taken over Jerusalem and put into slavery many of the Judean kings and princes and leaders, and they'd taken them to Babylon. And then 10 years later, in 587, so 10 years after that, Jerusalem rebelled again, and this time they just flattened the whole lot. Flattened Jerusalem, flattened the temple. So the people were absolutely distraught. And Ezekiel... Was one of those kind of first Jewish leaders, young men who were taken out of Jerusalem back in 597 and taken to Babylon, taken into exile, taken into captivity, you know, taken from their land, taken from their culture, taken from their religion, taken from their center of worship, and just isolated away, living in a new culture, a culture so far away from God. And in that place, God raises him up as a prophet to speak back over the nation and he brings a message in Ezekiel's book it's quite a hard book to understand much of it but it's a collection of laments you know lament when you grieve and it's kind of a collection of laments and sorrow for the state that they found themselves in it's full of words of judgment saying what have you done what have the people of God done it's full of words of kind of destruction that is going to be coming their way but then it's followed by words of hope and God's saying there will be a revival. There will be a restoration. It's a prophetic message of deliverance and transformation. And that's really significant and really, really important. So in this book, in this book of Ezekiel, he, kind of, he takes um, Ezekiel out to this valley of dry bones. I don't know if you've seen The Lion King. I kind of imagine that bit, the elephant graveyard. It's full of bones, Decaying dead bodies that have been picked clean. In fact, they're not even decaying anymore. It's just white, sun bleached bones lying in this valley. There would have been many valleys of slaughter where terrible battles, thousands of people would have died. And they wouldn't have buried the dead. They'd have just stayed there, and the vultures and the animals would have picked the flesh off. And it's sort of a valley of dry bones. And God takes Ezekiel there and says to him, Can these bones live? You know, sometimes we look at the church in the West. And we look, at, or we look at the church in America and we see, you know, cynicism and we see kind of materialism breaking in and we see kind of reckless funding and stewardship and people stealing money and we see kind of real mess of a church. And you look at the church and you think, really? Not long ago, it was published in the UK. By 2020, the Church of England would have zero people in it. Not that long ago. I'm here to say I don't believe that that's going to happen. But that's what people are saying. The church is dead in this country. Religion is dead. Christianity is dead. It's done. Can these bones live? Well, Ezekiel goes, I don't know. I don't know. It's a bit like Bob the Builder, isn't it? Can he fix it? I don't know. (laughs) Sorry if you don't know who Bob the Builder is or those of you that haven't got children. Um, And God says, is it possible for these things to live? And Ezekiel doesn't know. But then God calls him to prophesy, and he prophesies. And it's an amazing thing of the bones beginning to come back together, and the the bones, they rattle. It's a bit like some sort of sci-fi CGI kind of image that happens. It's really visual of these bones, little toe bones, and joining to the foot bone, connected to the shin bone. My anatomy and biology wasn't very good. Connected to the leg bone, I'll stop there. But all these bones kind of come back together, and they're rattling. And then the sinews start growing between them and the ligaments. And then the flesh starts creeping over them. And these bodies come together as complete bodies. But that's the point. They look great. They look human. They look complete. But they're dead. They're just as dead as they were when they were just bones lying in a valley. And the trouble is, sometimes for church, we can put on big shows and we can make it look really dynamic and we can get light shows in and and laser shows in and we can kind of do loads of kids' entertainments and we can get videos and we can get really funny, good-looking speakers. And we can, don't look so shocked, and, and we can do all the kind of razzmatazz, but we can still be dead. We can just be like a kind of painted shell. That looks nice, but actually is hollow. Because what makes a difference for these dead bodies is when the breath of God comes into them. And Ezekiel's told to prophesy, and the winds come, and the breath enters them. And then what happens? They rise up like an army. And the danger for us as church is we can look pretty good, and we can have a bit of breath in us. But we can become really good at putting on a show. We can do this as Christians, can't we? How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, thank you. When inside we're actually feeling really broken or lonely or isolated. And we put on a show, we wear a mask. Instead of being vulnerable and honest and saying, you know what, I'm out of breath. I need the breath of Christ to enter me. When God formed Adam in in, in the garden... He made him out of the dust and then he breathed into his nostrils and he became alive. When Jesus met those disciples in the upper room, when they were scared and vulnerable and uncertain and they were hiding away, Jesus in his heavenly body walks through the walls and is amongst them. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And he breathes on them and the breath enters them. And they go from being fearful to being faithful and going out and sharing the good news, even to death. They become transformed. And I think God wants to be, Jesus wants to be the head of the church. And I'm so committed, I so long to be part of a church where we don't just do our own good ideas and we don't just put on a show, but we're authentic. That wherever you cut us, you see Jesus. You see a Trinitarian church, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. You see a group of people who are longing to be authentic, who are willing to be honest about our weaknesses and our faults who know that we are not sorted and fully there, who know that we're just part of the picture of the body here in the city. We're not the best part or the shiniest part. We're not the most important part. We're just a part. And we need Wydcombe Baptist and we need All Saints Western and we need BCC and Freedom and we need the Methodist Church and the rest of the Anglican churches and the independent churches because together we're the body. And we all need the breath of Christ to fill us. Otherwise, we're just a husk. God is so gracious. And God lets us go on doing amazing things. But I believe in these days, God is saying, I want my church back because I want to fill it with my grace. I want to fill it with my power. I want to fill it with my love. I want to fill it so that it truly becomes a sign to the world. So the world look at this beautiful, glorious bride and go, wow, they're mad but there's something I've never seen there before and it's life, life to its fullness. Because it radiates with Christ. I don't want the world to get me because I'm pretty shoddy. You know, I can be superficial, or I can be weak-willed, I can be just not very great. But Christ in me transforms us. And when I breathe in the power and the love of Christ, it makes a difference. And when I do that... And when we do that, we all grow together because the point is we're all called to experience the breath of God to be a a church which is surrendered to Christ. So this church isn't my church. It's not even our church. It's actually Jesus' church and we submit and surrender to him and ask for his will to be done. So how do we do that? How do we yield ourselves back to Christ? How do we give this bonkersly big building to jesus how do we not become fixated on bricks and mortar and structures and schemes in an unhelpful way how do we yield all that to god and say lord here 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 it's yours i've been around churches and around leaders and i've been part of movements where sometimes it feels like they're trying to build a platform to be heard from, or to be seen, or to be visible, or to be really cool, or to be attractive to the world. And maybe the heart in that is okay, but often it's about building a platform. I don't want anything to do with a church that builds a platform. I want to be part of a church that builds an altar, where we can all kneel down and throw our crowns and say, Jesus, this is all for you, because you are the one who's worthy to receive all praise and glory. That's what we want to build here in Widcombe an altar where we make ourselves lower. We, like John the Baptist, say, Lord, less of me, more of you. I need to really kind of like be scooped out so I can receive more of your breath. Uh, Less of me, Jesus. Less of my ego, less of my pride, less of my brokenness. Heal me, not just because I want to be healed, but heal me so that I can be more fruitful for you. It was wonderful last week to see people responding to Steve's word. Steve's word last week was quite strong. Challenging about relationships and soul ties. And it was wonderful. There's that moment where Steve said to people, I was sitting at the back praying, and Steve had that moment where he said, If you feel God speaking to you, I want you to stand. And you can feel everyone kind of grab their chair and go, Oh, I quite want to, but I don't want to be the first. Is anyone if I stand, am I gonna be the only one? And then one or two brave souls stood, and then others stood. I stood. I want to yield myself to Christ. I want to be made whole and healed. I want to have a good, wonderful body inside and outside so that I can lay on the altar for Jesus and say, here I am, my every breath belongs to you. All I am, all I have, my family, my children, my marriage, my job, my hopes, my dreams, my aspirations, my wealth, my gifts, my talents, my house, my possessions. Jesus, they're all for you. Is that a pipe dream? No, I think that's what God wants of his church, to be surrendered. And God's amazing, because he gives us so much more back than we could ever ask or imagine. So how do we do it? How do we yield to him? Well, I just want to kind of finish by thinking a little bit about our response. God's looking to have his church back, surrender to him. We're part of that church. I think it begins with our own personal surrender. We're talking about doing massive rebuilding development here. It's really exciting. God's been super spectacularly generous in things that have come in, and unexpectedly so. But we want to constantly go back to God and say, What do you want to do with this building? What do you want to do with this service? What do you do want, want to do with this congregation, with our leadership? We're always looking to the head for wisdom and direction. And I need to do that in my own life. Lord, what do you want to do in me today? What do you want to do in me tomorrow? What areas of my life really, really great with your spirit? How can I learn to submit those to you so that I can be transformed? Matthew 6, Jesus, it's a whole massive sermon there, isn't it? But one of the things he says here is, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. I I I love being part of this family, because I look around and I just see such precious people. And I see people whose desire is to yield their heart to God. And I think that really pleases God. I believe we're in a really sweet season at the moment, where God's grace is really being poured out on us. But it's like that in Lion, Witch and the Wardrobe, one of the later books... I think it's a unicorn that talks about coming in deeper and further. See, I think God is saying, I want to invite you into deeper waters. I want you to feel like you can come in deeper into my presence. I want you to experience more of my power. I want you to experience more of my grace. I want you to experience more of my transformation. But that involves a journey towards Christ, in yielding more to him, in yielding ourselves to him. Mark eight thirty six says, What good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? We need to wake up and actually yield ourselves to God. And I just want to in, in the last couple of moments just talk a bit about fasting. Because I think this is a practical thing that maybe God is calling us to. I know he's calling me to it, and and I think he's calling us as a leadership to it, and I think perhaps as a church. I know for a fact that other city leaders are feeling called to fast at the moment. What is fasting? It's an ironic word, really, isn't it? Because when you fast food, it's really slow. But fasting is something that I believe that God is perhaps calling us to. Partly about denying ourselves. There's a discipline of fasting that I think the church needs to rediscover. The church, through the age, has has often fasted. Jesus' disciples fasted. In fact, when Jesus talks, he makes the assumption that his disciples will fast. It's not if you fast it's when you fast some of you here may have done that some of you may have thought well do we do that today some of you may have had difficult experiences with fasting but i think fasting speaks about and indeed physically breaks into this challenge of cycle of need and wants that we so quickly satisfy i'm hungry i'm going to wait, i'm going to eat I need something, I'm going to go and buy it. I want this, I'm going to go and do it now. We live in an instant culture and fasting is saying, hang on a minute. It's not that any of those things are wrong. Food is a glorious gift from God. Really glorious gift from God. But sometimes we need to remind our body that actually the realest real thing isn't our reality. It's the spiritual reality that's unseen. And when we just endlessly feed our physical nature, sometimes we neglect our spiritual nature. And actually, that's more important. We need to sometimes challenge this cycle of need, want and hunger and and unearthly satisfaction. Because we buy into it. I've said before, you know, Happy Meals at McDonald's. They're just hilarious, aren't they? This kind of instant satisfaction. You go and you get a piece of tat, plastic toy, and you go and get some pretty rubbish food, and they call it the Happy Meal. The only people who really are happy... A McDonald's, who make billions of pounds out of it. Because as soon as a child's had a Happy Meal, they're disappointed with the plastic thing. It breaks and they want another one a bit later on. This cycle of I need, I need, I need, I need. Well, that doesn't bring you eternal happiness, the Happy Meal, despite its name. Bono said this in one of his songs, I've climbed the highest mountains, I've run through the fields, i run, I've crawled, I've scaled city walls, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. You know, sometimes there's this driving within humanity to kind of press into the biggest, the best, the next, to feed and feed, and we're constantly feeding our physical nature. When perhaps in this season, I believe God is saying, don't neglect your spiritual nature. Don't neglect the inward. And so I believe that sometimes, actually choosing to fast, saying, you know, I'm going to deny myself just for a bit, is actually a really helpful thing to do. In order for us to become more like Jesus, to become more kingdom-centered people, I think God's given us a few spiritual disciplines to help set us back on track. And I think fasting is a key to that. Fasting, what isn't it? Well, it's not dieting. That's not the point of fasting. We don't skip meals to lose weight. But actually we abstain from food or from something else for the purpose of growing spiritually. There's a guy called Richard Foster. He's written a whole book on spiritual disciplines and many other things. He he says this about fasting. The voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. I'll read that again. The voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. See, fasting isn't about twisting God's arm. It's not about trying to convince God of something. It actually really, I think, is about us opening our hearts to God. And for me, when I fasted at times, there are those moments where I'm really hungry. It's funny. I, I, I can quite happily skip lunch. I often forget to eat lunch. As soon as I've decided I'm going to start fasting, I'm starving hungry ten minutes after I've decided I'm going to do it. Why is that? Well, I think it's a spiritual thing. I think the enemy doesn't like it. The other thing I often do is I decide I'm going to fast, I'm going to fast, I get up, I'm going to start praying, I go and have breakfast, and I think, oh, I'll just have breakfast. You would not believe the number of times I've done that. Because we're in a routine, aren't we? Fasting between meals, that's a lot easier, but I think that's kind of not the point. Fasting, I think, is often feared for two reasons. We associate it perhaps with kind of religious wackos or the Middle Ages. It's a kind of image of people kind of starving themselves and beating themselves. I think the other reason we struggle with it is, well, we love to eat. And we hate the idea of self-sacrifice. But actually it's really, really good for our spiritual lives to be self-controlled so that when I'm hungry I think, actually Lord I'm really hungry I've missed this meal today but you know what even though my body is craving food I need to learn that I need to crave you just as much if not more than my lunch that I've just missed some of you here may have fasted some of you may have done extended fasts there's all different ways of fasting and I'm not going to tell you how to do it but I think this is a season where God is inviting us to explore what it might mean to yield ourselves to him in in a new way So I'm suggesting that for the first week of May, this week coming up, you take some time out to fast for the first week and the last week. I'll tell you why specifically in a moment. But we can do it in different ways. Some of us may want to take some extended days to fast. Maybe that's only possible, one, if you're in a type of job that allows you to be a bit more sedentary, because if you're fasting and trying to rush around madly, that's really hard. You may want to fast a particular meal. You might just want to say, okay... For Monday to Friday, I'm going to, instead of having lunch, I'm going to go and pray. I'm going to sit for half an hour. Instead of eating, I'm actually going to fast lunch. And I'm going to give that meal to God, and I'm going to give that time. And I know my stomach's going to rumble in the afternoon, but every time it rumbles, I'm going to go, Jesus, I'm doing this because I want to get closer to you. Even though I don't understand it, really, and I'm really moody, I'm going to give you (laughs) my heart. Or it may be that for you... You and your iPhone or Samsung or other utensil are barely ever separated by more than nine inches. It's usually here or here. And actually the really big thing for you to fast this week would be Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or anything. (laughs) Where we're glued to this thing. Instead of being glued to my screen wondering what the football score is, know what, no. instead of doing that I'm actually going to say this week instead of the minutes that I spend looking at my phone I'm going to fix my eyes on heaven again I'm going to reconnect instead of on my iPhone I'm going to reconnect to heaven or maybe you're going to give up tea or coffee Ooh. or something else the point is it's about our heart saying actually this hurts quite a lot God <laughs> so I'm going to give it up for you, just this week, to say, Lord, I want to pursue heaven again. Not to twist your arm, not to show you that I'm really holy, but to just say, Lord, I want my heart to be set on heaven. Will you help me? If you're going to fast food, just be sensible. You know, if you're pregnant or if you're struggling with food, don't be doing that. God doesn't want you to put yourself or others at risk because he loves your body and he wants to protect and nurture your body but I believe that God's encouraging us to go closer to him. May is a significant month for us as a church. Many of you will know we're looking to raise the money to to literally lift the roof, (laughs) to put on a whole new roof, to think about redeveloping St. Matt's into a place that's really great for children, for young people, for the community, transforming the kitchen area, putting in brand new toilets, Yes, doing all sorts of other exciting things that are more exciting than toilets, but in transforming this building to making it a welcome, warm, loving, beautiful place to worship God and and embrace the community. But we want to yield that to God. In May, the end of May, beginning of June, we're going to hear whether we're going to get a government grant, which will be for £100,000, which would help with the roof quite a lot. That's quite a few tiles. It would be great if we get that government grant, If we don't get it, I don't care, because God wants us to get the money other ways. Some money's already come in, it's been amazing. But you know what, £100,000 would actually be quite helpful, and would free up other money for other community projects we want to be involved in. We will hear at the end of May whether our grant application is seen positively. Please pray for that specific thing, that our grant application would find favour. Every time you drive past, every time I walk past and look at this roof, I just pray, God, your will be done. I don't want to be fixated about tiles, but it would be quite nice for my congregation not to get wet. But please, Lord, if it's your will and we can get that grant, then Lord, let it be so. Praying and fasting is a helpful thing to get us focused. So we pray for the building, we pray for the community, we pray for our initiatives, and we pray for our own lives. Lord, would you just knock the edges off me? You know, when I fast, I get really moody. When I don't eat, I get really moody. But when I fast, it becomes almost worse. And it it reminds me, you know what? There's issues in my life that I still need to yield to God. It brings those things to the surface. It highlights our emotions and our mind. And it shows often the true state and the battle within our hearts. It's a good discipline. And it's one that I'd encourage you to consider. I'm going to put some, um, I've got lots more notes about fasting, which I'm not going to go into now, but we'll perhaps put those on the website. If you want to read more about it, do a bit of study about it, I think God wants to encourage us to engage in it. I'll finish with this quote. This is from Roger Foster. It's sobering to realise that the very first statement Jesus made about fasting dealt with the question of motive. To use good things to our own ends is always the sign of false religion. Fasting must forever centre on God. It must be God-initiated and God-ordained. Fasting reminds us that we are sustained by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Therefore, in experiences of fasting we're not so much abstaining from food as we're feasting on the word of god fasting is feasting hopefully that'll encourage you to consider it to talk about it i'd love to pray for us and we're going to close uh, just with a, a worship song i'm going to invite the band to come back up as we pursue god this week Fasting, praying. Fasting and praying should always be together. I think as we pray more, as we fast more, our desire is to pursue the face of God and see what his will is. For us as church, for us as individuals. And as we do that, our prayer is, Lord, I don't just want to be a body where the bones have come back together and I'm covered in skin, but inside I'm, I'm kind of like a dry husk. I need to be filled with your breath so that I can stand up and rise up. Your church in this city needs to be filled with your breath so that we can rise up together and with one voice declare you as Lord. So my prayer is that we could yield to him. And if you're willing to um, say yes to more of God, it might be to f- fasting, it might be to praying, it might be just to responding saying, Lord, I, I want to be filled with your breath. And I'd invite you to stand with me as I pray for us, for the breath of God to come and fill us. If you want to stand, stand with me. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Lord, we don't want to be a church that's not yielded to you. We don't want to be a church that's for ourselves. We want to be a church that is yielded and given to you and for the world out there that doesn't yet know you. Lord, we are your church. Lord, this building is yours. Our possessions are yours. The gifts and talents within this church are yours. And we want to yield our hearts to you. We want to yield together as one body, but also as individuals to say, Lord, here I am. Fill me with your spirit. Breathe into me afresh that I can stand up strong, that I can be a witness, that I can be a light, that I can be a source of hope. Lord, I need your breath. Without you, I'm just dry and fearful. But when you fill me, You give us a boldness and a hope and a strength within us. So breath of God, breathe on us slain ones, we pray. Breathe on your church in this city. Let it be glorious. Let it stand for you. In Jesus' name.